0: This podcast contains adult language and content. If you have a story to share, send it to let's not meet stories at gmail.com. Enjoy the show. My name is Andrew Tate, and this is season 7, episode 23 of Let's Not Meet, a True Horror Podcast. Welcome to the Season 7 finale of Let's Not Meet, a true horror podcast. If you've been a fan of the show for a while now, or if you're new and you just binged all of the episodes, you're probably familiar with the format of these finales. I like to have a handful of regular returning guests all on to do a special live episode of the show to end things with a bang. What you're about to hear is the audio of that show. I'm happy to welcome back Sora Narnia of Knife Point Horror, Amanda and Cassidy of Drinking the Kool-Aid, Sapphire Sandalo of Stories with Sapphire, Shelby Scott of Scare You to Sleep, and a new member of the family, I'm proud to introduce to you Joel of the Let's Read podcast. I was very happy that he agreed to join us this time around. I listen to his show whenever I both want to relax and get scared. Check out his podcast, Let's Read, wherever you get your podcasts. And check out his YouTube channel as well. Those links will be in the show notes. I know you'll enjoy his show, as it is very similar to Let's Not Meet in format and delivery. But that's enough formalities for now. Enjoy the show.
1: For the past year, I've been working as a front desk agent and lead night auditor for a pretty nice two-star hotel. The owner, my former boss, has put a lot of time and energy into making the hotel seem better than it actually is. Because of the niceness of the hotel and generally low rates, we would get a lot of construction crews staying there. Their bosses were paying for six or seven rooms at a time at a cheap flat rate thanks to my boss helping them out. In one of these instances, we had some electricians staying. They were working for a rather famous southern grocery store that I won't name for the sake of anonymity. I was the one who had originally checked them all in with their boss and helped seal the deal to have our hotel be the one they continued to stay at through the length of their job. One of these men took a rather large liking to my co-worker. She got a lot of attention from our guests because she was extremely nice and rather flirtatious without meaning to be. The worker was nice. He was the more level-headed one of his co-workers. While I had to get on his colleagues for yelling and carrying on outside at all hours of the night, he would often be the one helping me keep them quiet. He and my co-worker, Jay, began dating, for a lack of a better word. She couldn't really date as she was in a program that helped people reform into normal life after drug use. She was picked up and dropped off by the facility, so there really wasn't much they could do in terms of dating, but. She definitely grew infatuated with the man. She would talk about him at any chance the moment I clocked in. I mean, I was happy for her, glad she had found someone in light of all the stuff she'd been through. He would bring her and the housekeeper's food during their shifts, tip them well, and was the nicest man that we had dealt with all summer. One day, my other coworker received a note from the worker. He had come in to see Jay, but two hours earlier than her shift began. He took one of the General Manager's business cards, leaving a note on it for Jay, saying that he needed to leave early. He said he was returning to his home in Pennsylvania and that he was sorry he had missed her. He left an email for her to get in contact with him. He and his crew had been checked out of the hotel for a week now, choosing to stay in an Airbnb. That same night, or the night after, I can't quite remember, I clocked into work and went to talk to Jay about the events that happened in her shift and asked her to tell me anything in particular that happened that I needed to know about. Good evening, my dear, I called the front desk as I hurried to clock in. I saw her wave as she checked in a guest, but I could tell from the look on her face that something weird had happened during her shift. I walked into the back office that connected to the front desk and sat down waiting for her to finish checking the guest in and setting up my iPad to start playing a podcast. As I was pulling up Spotify, Jay walked in and sat on the stool in front of me. You aren't going to believe what happened. But he did. Oh? I thought at first that he had done something sweet like bring her flowers or buy her a ticket out of here like they had been talking about. He killed three of his coworkers at that place they were staying at. I remember my stomach just dropping. I felt like I wanted to pass out and I couldn't even imagine how she was feeling. She had worked all day with the knowledge that the man she had started dating killed three of his co-workers. Men that, while rambunctious after work, were still good men and did not deserve to die. Turns out, he had a previous record for assault and was out on bail. His cousin, one of the men he killed, had hired him onto his crew knowing about the prior offense and brought him down to work on a job in a different state. And it all went downhill from there. Jay would email him constantly in jail. She had become pretty much obsessed with the man. It got to the point where every time I would clock in I would see her reading the same five news articles covering the horrible crime he'd committed. The news articles revealed that the whole reason he was returning home to begin with was because and his boss had gotten into a scrap. It ended with the worker punching his boss in the face, being fired shortly after and sent back home. He had driven all the way to the hotel to leave the note and then to the airport to go back home. When he got to the airport, he left shortly after. He rented a car, drove across state lines, stopped at a Walmart to buy a baseball bat, and returned to the place they were all staying, knowing that the back door would be unlocked. He went in and beat one of the men to death with a bat and stabbed the other two. On his way out, he injured another. I'm so very thankful that he's in prison, and because of the state he was in, he's currently facing the death penalty. So, the worker I checked in who turned out to be a violent killer, and to an extent Jay for obsessing with him and emailing him even after he killed three men. Let's not meet again.
2: In 2018, my boyfriend and I were in San Antonio, Texas to watch our college football team play in a bowl game. I have always had a love for all that is creepy and morbid, so naturally, I booked one of the oldest hotels in the city that was famously haunted. The hotel was beautiful, but the walls of our room were paper thin. There was a conjoining door between our room and another guest who we did not know. Yes, it was permanently locked, but the door seemed very thin and hollow neither of us gave it a second thought besides making a mental note to ask the front desk if they had earplugs well our team lost and we didn't witness anything paranormal but during our last night at the hotel something even scarier than seeing a ghost unfolded we had an early flight the next morning so we went to bed early only to be woken up by a man in the room next door screaming at someone else he was in the room with. It was about 1 a.m., and we were not pleased. Even with earplugs in, we could hear them loud and clear. One of the people in the room slammed the door and left. Finally, there was silence. I was about to fall back asleep again when a loud noise from the room next door jolted both of us awake. The man was playing the same clip from some motivational speech over and over again, each time also saying it out loud to himself in a monotone voice. By now, it was around 2 a.m. We let it go on for 10 minutes before we called a noise complaint down to the front desk. The man heard us call and turned off the video. We thought he got the point, but then we heard him Call the front desk himself. He reported that the couple next door was trying to convert him into their sex cult and sacrifice him. Even weirder was that he sounded completely sober and serious. We chose to ignore it, assuming the front desk would also see how crazy he sounded. We laid there silently, waiting for security to come up and ask him to please quiet down, which they did and he very coherently apologized and said he would go to sleep. I put on a white noise app and fell back asleep, hoping the drama was done for the night. Next thing we know the same motivational speech was playing but this time it sounded like it was coming from inside our own room horrified we saw that he had slid his phone under the conjoining door with the volume all the way up my boyfriend walked up to the door knocked and said something like hey man not cool we're just trying to get some sleep i on the other hand was not about to interact I immediately called the front desk, and he pulled the phone back under. But he was far from done. Seconds later, he was throwing his body against the door, trying to break into our room. He was screaming slurs and threatening to assault and kill me. I was hysterical, still on the phone with the front desk, who at that point was calling the police. My boyfriend was using all of his body weight to keep the door from breaking, but felt less confident with each slam. I dropped the phone and went to try and help him reinforce the door. We both ended up with bruises from pressing as hard as we could each time the man tried to break the door. Luckily, the police got there just in time because the second they knocked on his door from out in the hallway, he stopped. The silence was eerie, and he was not responding to the police at all. After five minutes, he went to the door and calmly claimed to the police that he had no idea what they were talking about. The hotel had already decided to evict him, so the police escorted him out and into their car. I watched from our window as he walked out of the hotel. He was a clean-cut guy in his late 20s wearing a suit not at all what I expected after the absolute insanity that just happened all night but I guess the real evil ones never truly look evil do they safe to say we just sat awake the rest of the night it took me 30 minutes to stop shaking from fear I sat at the window watching to make sure he didn't come back into the hotel I have never been so happy to have an early flight so to the man who tried to break down the conjoining door while threatening to rape and kill me let's never meet
3: I've decided it's time to share a creepy encounter I had years ago. At the time of this story, I was 13. I was in Boy Scouts, and my troop decided to have our annual summer camp in Alabama. The camp was supposed to go on for a full six days. We arrived Sunday at noon and would leave the next Saturday at noon. We weren't the only troop at camp, though. There were plenty of others, and even at such a young age, I found it relatively easy to go out and make friends, so that's exactly what I did. I ended up befriending this guy, also 13, who we'll call Roger. I also had another friend from the same troop as mine. We'll call him Pete. I introduced Pete to Roger, and we were all best friends for the week, despite the fact that Pete and I had just met Roger. We hung out every moment we could, whether that was between our classes or during meals at the dining hall. Roger really seemed to like the outdoors, so one night he invited us to go on a hike with him. He said that he had found a chapel nearby that seemed to be abandoned. The chapel sat on a more elevated area that allowed us to see past the trees, so he said we could all walk up there to watch the sunset. Pete and I were really excited about going, but we knew that since we were both young, we would need permission from our scoutmaster to go up there. Just to, cl- just to clarify, a scoutmaster is an adult who is the leader of the troop. They oversee the activities and, more importantly, the overall safety of the troop. There are also assistant scoutmasters who help the scoutmaster when they're needed. Our scoutmaster was one of a few adults there. We asked him during dinner about the hike, and he was fine with it as long as we brought along another trusted adult. We told Roger about what our scoutmaster had said. Roger told us he had an assistant scoutmaster from his own troop who could tag along. We'll call him Manny. We agreed and told our scoutmaster about it. He signed off on it, and when we finished dinner, we set off on the hike. The hike was maybe two miles or so away from the campsite. About halfway through, the path that was originally leading us abruptly stopped. We all looked ahead and saw piles of leaves, branches, dirt, and twigs covering the ground. The area had become more dense as well. Pete was hesitant about going any further as he said he had a a sickening feeling. But Manny assured us we would be all right under his wing, so we continued. After five minutes, we all started to hear rustling from the shrubs nearby. We thought maybe it was an animal and brushed it off. Once again, however, Pete felt a bad vibe from up ahead. We ignored his calls and thought of it as a cry for attention. Pete told us he wanted to turn back, but many refused, saying we were too close to give up. We continued, and soon enough we reached the chapel. It was enormous, but it looked worn down and had missing wooden planks just laying around on the ground. We looked at the sunset, admired the view. We ended up sitting down and chatting for a bit. Manny told us uh, some amusing stories from when he was a Boy Scout. Uh, While Manny was talking, Pete nudged me on the shoulder. He whispered in my ear, saying he felt like he was being watched. I asked from where, and he pointed towards the chapel. I told him it was probably some animal that he was being paranoid. However, unlike last time, he wouldn't let up. He stood his ground and told me he knew someone was watching. Pete and I excused ourselves and we told Manny and Roger we would just be looking around the chapel. Once we reached the entrance, I told Pete to wait there as I investigated the area. He refused, saying it would be better if we went in as a pair. We decided to walk around the chapel first. For reference, the chapel had one entrance. There were these thick glass windows on each side, but dust clouded them up. There was one window, though the glass wasn't there anymore. There were glass shards on the outside of where the window should have been. That should have been the first red flag. If it were Mother Nature's doing, the glass would have been inside the chapel, but it was outside instead. I was too young, dumb, and caught up in the moment to worry about it, though. Once we circled the chapel and found nothing, I asked Pete if he wanted to go inside now. He hesitantly agreed, but said I should walk in first and that he'd follow closely behind. Big mistake. I opened the door and walked in. Even thinking about what happened next scares me to this day. As soon as I stepped a foot inside, I looked in front of me, then up to my right and to my left. When I looked to my left, I damn near screamed. I, I jolted back as soon as I saw a man standing in the corner, peeking through the window at us. He was crouching and he had this grin on his face like he'd seen me doing something embarrassing. You know, like a like a menacing smirk. In one hand, he held a soda can, and in the other, what looked to be a kind of butcher's knife. He stood straight up and took one step towards us. As soon as he did this, I took off, and Pete followed close behind me. The man chased after us. Manny and Roger both saw him coming in their direction as well as the, the butcher knife-wielding man. They grabbed their bags, and they began to run as well. We took off in the direction we came from. After what felt like an eternity, Pete just ran out of breath. He couldn't go on. We looked back, and we didn't see the crazed man anymore. We hid behind some shrubs in case he came again. Pete drank some water, and Manny asked me what the hell just happened. I told him everything. I remember he said that he felt like throwing up. He questioned why anyone would derive pleasure from scaring young, innocent teens like that. As Manny continued talking with me while Pete just laid on the ground, Roger told us he heard footsteps. We all shut up as, as Manny and I peeked through an opening in the shrubs. and He saw the same man heading down the unkempt path. I, I hoped he would just you know, stop and, and, and turn around, but he continued down the path in the direction of the campsite. You know, Now feeling trapped, we didn't want to go back to the chapel and we definitely didn't want to go back to the campsite now that we knew the man was somewhere along that side of the path. So that's when Manny remembered that he had his phone with him. Since he was an assistant scoutmaster, he was allowed to keep his devices with him during the camp. You know, We, we scouts weren't. He frantically dialed for his troops, Scoutmaster, and explained the situation. Scoutmaster told the camp counselors, and they dialed nine one one. After about an hour, we heard footsteps again, this time from a few officers. We approached them, and Pete damn near passed out in, in one officer's arms. We were taken back to the camp under the protection of these officers, and all the troops were informed of what had happened. The camp counselors made the decision to call off the rest of the camp, and sent all the troops home. A week after returning home, I received a message from my scoutmaster informing us that the police had caught the creep. He'd apparently been doing this to children all over that region of Alabama. There were many reports and sightings. I was happy he was caught, but more disturbed at another detail. He told me, The man had murdered someone just a few days prior to our encounter with him. He hid the body a couple hundred feet behind the chapel, and he used the chapel as a house of sorts. I was thoroughly revolted, and I, I sincerely hope the family of the victim has found closure. As for Manny and Roger, I unfortunately lost contact with them. Pete and I, on the other hand, are still buddies to this day. And as for the butcher knife wielding creep who tried to do who knows what to my friends and I years ago, let's not meet.
0: This event happened over 11 years ago now. This was when I was a teenager, but I still remember it like it was yesterday. I'm sorry to start off with a bummer, but it is essential to the story. At this time, my dad was unfortunately losing a valiant fight with cancer. I still miss him every day, and I wish he had been here to see me graduate high school and college, meet and marry my wife and all of the other big life events to come. But now that we've stopped cutting the onions here, we can move on to the day in question. My dad, mom, and I were all having a nice, normal weekend afternoon at the house. I believe my dad was asleep when the phone rang. It was my aunt. We'll call her Lynette. It wasn't weird that she was calling, since she is my dad's sister, and had been coming around and helping us as much as she could with his care. My mom picked up the phone and almost immediately got this confused look on her face. Now, I was a nosy little kid, so I leaned over the couch and tried to hear the conversation. I don't know what I expected to hear, but it wasn't this. Lynette told my mom that we wouldn't believe who she had found her and my dad's long-lost brother, Henry. She said that she was outside with him right now. So normally this would be a cause for celebration, right? Wrong. The hitch is, Henry died well over 30 years prior when he was 15 in a terrible drowning accident. My mom and I looked outside from the upstairs window and that's when we see my aunt is indeed outside sitting in her car with some random man in the passenger seat. Obviously, my mom tells her to basically get the hell away from our house and that she doesn't want her or whoever this person was that she was convinced was her dead brother to come back. Then she hung up and went downstairs to lock the front door just in case. Now this is probably a disappointing climax to the story, and I was fully expecting chaos at this point, but they just left, and she never tried anything like that again to my knowledge. Thankfully, my dad had been in a heavily medicated sleep during all of this, and as far as I know, no one ever told him about it before he passed. I honestly don't know how badly this would have hurt him. His brother's death affected him very deeply his whole life. He really, really didn't need that kind of stress. I mean, we all knew that Lynette had some kind of undiagnosed mental illness based on previous incidents. There were times where she believed she was God or singer-songwriter Katie Lang. But this was an entirely new level of messed up. All these years later, I still have so many questions. Like, who was the guy? Did he know what he was there for? Was it his idea or my aunt's? And who does that? I don't think I'll ever get an answer, and maybe that's for the best. I haven't seen Lynette since a few months after my dad's funeral, but I hope that she has gotten the help that she needs and is doing much better. To the random man who was supposedly my dead uncle and had who-knows-what-kind-of-intentions with my family. Let's not meet.
4: My sister and I moved to a big city together about four years ago. A few months into living in our new apartment my sister and I came home from a night out. When we got home, my sister couldn't find the small baggie of weed she had in her bedroom. She insisted it was sitting on her bed when we left and that it was gone when we came back. I don't smoke weed. No one else had been in our apartment that night. Of course, I just thought she had smoked it all and forgotten about it. I told her she was being crazy and paranoid but she still ripped her room apart and insisted that the weed was missing. She even went so far as to ask our building manager to look at the recordings from the camera that is located on the landing outside of our apartment door to see if anyone had come into our apartment that night. The building manager checked the cameras and no one had entered or exited except for the two of us. We forgot about it until a few months later when it happened again. We came home, and she was missing her weed. And also, this time, her air pods were gone too. Our bedrooms are located on opposite sides of the apartment. Hers is in the front by the door, and mine is in the back. We are on the fourth floor, and my room has two big windows. One of them has access to the fire escape, and the other has an air conditioner unit in it. I can only open the window on my fire escape if I want to get fresh air. That night, when we got home, she realized her weed was missing again. I noticed that I had left my window open. I used to do this once in a while, being naive about the likelihood of people using it to get into our apartment. We mused that it was possible someone had come in through the window, but I still didn't think it was likely, and she was just forgetting she smoked her weed and misplaced her AirPods. At the time... I thought only the people in my building had access to our fire escape and didn't think any of them would rob us. Nothing else appeared to be missing. There was nothing else out of place. A few weeks later, I noticed one of my vibrators was missing as well. I racked my brain trying to think if I could have accidentally thrown it away or something. I even asked the guy I was dating if he took it home with him as some kind of joke I had gotten it on a discount site and hadn't read the dimensions, and it was comically large and hard to miss. How could that be gone, too? I started always closing and locking my window when I left the apartment, but left it open when I was there. One night, we had friends over for dinner. They all decided to go out, and I decided I wanted to stay in. They left, and I got into bed. It was a warm spring night, so I had my window wide open. I decided not to sleep with the TV on, which is unusual for me. I was falling asleep when all of a sudden I heard noises coming from the window. I looked up to see the outline of a man standing on the fire escape outside my window, looking in. My whole body froze in panic. I wasn't sure what to do. I made a quick decision and coughed loudly. When I did, the figure rushed away from my window. I stood up, flew to the window, and slammed it down and locked it. After that, I had no doubt someone had been coming into my apartment when we were out. After talking to the police and the building manager, I learned that the fire escape went up to our roof and all the roofs on the block are connected with no barriers. Anyone on my block who had access to their roof could get onto my fire escape, Now, my window has a mechanism that jams it so it cannot be opened, an alarm, and has a motion sensor light that will light up if someone moves in front of it. I was naive before, but I won't be again. To the man who is creeping around my apartment, let's never meet again.
5: My name is Laura, and I'm 21 years old. I live alone in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. My studio apartment is very small, only about 450 square feet. It's on the ground floor, and it has a small fenced-in yard. To get to the yard, there's a sliding glass door. I had been living here for about four months when I started to have some problems. One night, I was reading on my couch around 9.30 p.m., I had left the sliding glass door open with a screen in place to get some cool air. My apartment is not air-conditioned. I started to get a sense that someone was watching me. I stood up to close the door, and all of my hair stood on end. I saw a man, sitting and staring at me. He was in the corner of my yard. I quickly shut and locked the door, pulled the curtains, and called my boyfriend over. By the time he had arrived the man was gone. A few days later, my boyfriend was dropping me off around 10 p.m. As I turned the corner to go to my door, I noticed something odd in my peripheral vision. I turned to look, and it was the same man, this time crouched between the bushes. Panicking, I turned heel and yelled my boyfriend's name. I caught up to him right as he was pulling out. He walked with me in, and we watched the man just walk away. After this, a few weeks went by without further incident. I continued on like normal, having decided that it was nothing to ruffle my feathers over. At night, I would go around and make sure all of my windows were locked and the dowels were in place. Then, I would go to my sliding glass door, lock it, place the wooden dowel. Each night, I would yank on the handle to ensure that it was actually locked. I was never able to sleep unless I had done this. So, after doing my nightly routine, I would be able to sleep in peace. Then, one morning I woke up to find that my sliding glass door was open as far as the dowel would allow. For context, my bed sits about 15 feet directly in front of that glass door, lying in bed I can clearly see out in my yard, and that meant someone could clearly see me laying in bed if the door was open. Thinking of all of this, I felt quite eerie. Once again, I decided that it was nothing to be overly concerned about. I'd likely just forgotten to shut it the night before, and even though that was unlikely, that's what I told myself. From that night on, I doubled my precautions. Literally. I would check the door first, do the windows, and then go back to double-check the door. Doing this, I felt safe. But then one morning, not long after the first incident, I woke up to the same thing. The door was slid open as far as that dowel would allow. This time, there was no telling myself I'd forgotten to pull on that handle. Someone had definitely tried to get into my house while I was sleeping. Panicking, I did what any grown woman would do, and I called my mom. Of course, she had a whole lot to say about it. Immediately, we got on Amazon, we did some burglar bars, a new metal dowel with an alarm attached to it, and it would go off if the rod was jostled at all. We got a security camera and police-grade pepper spray. In the two days I had waiting for these items, thanks Bezos, I had to wake up in the middle of the night to let my dog out. In case you hadn't gathered, he's not a guard dog by any means. He's more of an eight-pound furry bundle who wants everyone to love him. Anyway, I let him out and was shocked to find there was a man standing in my yard. He was standing knee deep in the snow in the middle of the night. Cheerily, he waved and said, Hello! I was feeling decidedly uncheery, so I called my dog in and informed him that he was going to have one night where he could pee on the floor. He didn't take me up on that offer, thankfully. I locked everything again and went to bed. I laid there for a while. I couldn't really sleep, but finally I drifted off. When I finally got my added security items, I started using them right away. Things were calm for about a week, and then I had the night of my life. It was about 2 a.m., and I was fast asleep. An extremely loud buzzing began, and it took me a moment before I realized it was my dowel alarm going off. I shot out of bed, and I called the police. Then, I go to check my security camera, but somehow it wasn't recording at the time of the alarm. Thoroughly spooked, I grabbed my pepper spray, run to the kitchen, grabbed my butcher knife, and crept to the couch and huddled. I was ready to kick some ass. While waiting to either kick some ass or talk to the police, whichever came first, I once again called my mom. As I was telling her what happened, I saw the lights in my yard. I told her I loved her, and I hung up the phone, ready to throw some knives and blind someone. After about three minutes, which felt more like 30, the light disappeared. And then I heard the knock. Oh, Lord, did my heart go into my stomach. Peeking through the hole, I saw two people. It was dark, so I couldn't tell if it was the police or just two weirdos. I was unsure what to do, so I just stayed quiet. Then came a second knock and a police. Finally, I could breathe. It was nice of them to announce themselves first and then go into my yard. I opened my door with the chain still on just to check and it was safe. I let them in and they cheerily informed me that my yard looked normal. If that wasn't the most helpful thing I'd ever heard, I don't know what was. How did they know what my yard looked like normally? Regardless of the snarky comments and colorful words running through my head, I told them everything that had happened. They said, okay, and that they would increase patrol in my neighborhood. I thanked them through my teeth. (laughs) Then they left. I was once again alone, sitting on my couch, holding a knife in one hand and pepper spray in the other. I called my mom to let her know that I hadn't died, and then I sat some more. Eventually, I told myself that I just needed to sleep, I crawled into bed, still holding the pepper spray, and I kept the knife within an arm's reach. That was the last time my door had ever been opened in the middle of the night. I don't know if it was the man who watched me read, or a neighbor who was just overly friendly. I don't know how my camera wasn't recording that night, and I still get creeped out, thinking about why they were just standing there. What did they want? Watching me sleep just 15 feet away, and them just... Being there.
6: For the record, I am a 22 year old female living and studying in the Netherlands. I moved here two years ago and I've been living in a family friendly area. Or so I thought. I have a dog, and in my neighborhood, there is a little park where I always go for a walk with him. I've never had any trouble going out at night, and usually, when I was coming back from parties, I would go take him for a quick walk. One night, it was around 2 a.m., I came back from a small gathering with my friends, and decided to take my dog for a walk as he was alone for a very long time. It was the first time I didn't take my phone or anything with me, because it was supposed to be just a quick walk for him to do his business. I also did not change my outfit, and as you can imagine, I looked pretty dressed up as I just left a party. I only took my keys with me. To get to the park, I have to walk like 100 meters down the street with just houses and cars on each side. Suddenly, I noticed a car approaching at a slow speed from the main street. I didn't think too much about it, as a lot of people were looking for a place to park their car at these late hours. I stopped at a small crossing, thinking that the car wanted to turn. At this time, my dog was sniffing something, so I waited until the guy in the car moved. But he just stayed there, with his car stopped. I continued my walk toward the park. When I started walking, he rolled down his window and started talking to me in Dutch. Me, being a kind person, explained that I do not speak Dutch and I can't help him. I started getting a little bit stressed and I was just super tired. I just wanted to be done with it as quickly as I could, so I just started walking again. He switched to broken English and was following me with the car, asking for number 69 of the street we were on. Which I found strange as we were next to 67. He then kept going on about needing help. Somewhere in his broken English, I heard the word money, so I answered that I don't have any and I can't help him. But then he said that he has money and he can pay me for help. He also said something about coming closer to the car. Me, a huge fan of true crime podcasts and stories about serial killers, my alarm bells went off. I knew at that moment that I was in danger. I got angry, and with a more serious tone, said I was sorry I couldn't help. I told him I didn't need any money. He kept trying to lure me closer, and I kept repeating myself. I rushed to the park, as I thought he would have to turn in another direction because it was a one-way street. I did not want to go back home to let him know where I lived. Also, my dog still needed to go to the bathroom. When I got into the park, I thought I was safe because he turned the car around. I watched him from a distance, and I saw that he disappeared around the corner on the main road now. I started praying and looking around to see if anyone was in the park, or at least if there were any lights on. Unfortunately, no one was there, and everything was quiet. No lights on. As I walked, I looked around to see if he was there but I didn't see anything. I relaxed a bit and decided to quickly go back home. I was also already on my way back to that same street from earlier. As I was on my final stretch to the end of the park, I noticed a car with lights on parked at the entrance. It was that same man, but this time, he was out of the car, waiting for me to get back. A chill went down my spine as I looked around to see if anyone was there again. No one. I didn't know what to do. I noticed that he was talking either on the phone or to someone nearby. However, I didn't see anyone, but I felt a bit relieved that he was now bothering someone else. I went over to the other side of the street and passed him quickly and very silently so that he wouldn't notice me. He was walking back and forth. When he turned his back to me, I got a better look and he was definitely not talking into the phone. I started walking a bit faster and was wondering who he was talking to as I didn't see anyone there. It was really strange, but all I wanted was to be back home in bed. I was so exhausted. After I put some distance between us, I looked to see if he was following me. He wasn't. I was close to home now. I could see my doors and it made me feel more at ease. But then, I heard footsteps. Someone was running in my direction, running after me. I froze. I couldn't move and I didn't know what to do. I was next to my house, but if he were fast enough, he would be able to make it there and I would have bigger problems. I worried that he might attack me from behind and I wouldn't have anything to fight back with. All I had were my keys, but the guy was much taller and bigger than me, so I wouldn't have any chance. I turned around and tried to look serious, but trust me, I was freaked out and already had thoughts in my head that it's my last night on earth. He slowed down as he approached me and asked if I had a lighter. A fucking lighter, are you kidding me? I got angry as I was tired and panicked. I told him, no, like I said before, I can't help you. I just want to go back home because I was tired. Then he tried to say something, then asked for another favor. Then, with all of my mixed emotions of being scared for my life and angry at the same time, I shouted, can you leave me the fuck alone? I think my posture changed to fight mode. He just gave up, put his hands up and said, okay, okay, calm down. Then he went to the other side of the street. When he turned his back to me, I ran towards my doors. They're hidden in the shadows, so I made it before he saw exactly where I lived. When I got home, I sat down on my bed and just started shaking. I couldn't move or do anything. My dog was freaked out as well, and I think he guessed that something was wrong because he quickly went to his bed. I texted my friends to let them know what happened. I didn't think of calling the police. I'm not really sure why. I was just so stressed that I sat on my bed for the next 30 minutes. One of my friends called and calmed me down. The only thing I knew I couldn't do was to check through the window to see if he had left. He would then know where I lived. Windows in the Netherlands are huge, so he could have easily noticed me. I didn't switch on or off any lights. In all of this, I was only surprised that my dog was so calm and didn't bark at him once. He usually does that to everyone, however, he would never bite. This made me sure that I am not safe with my dog at any time in the night. From that moment on, I never went out after midnight to walk him. I was so scared after this situation that for the next couple of days, I had serious anxiety going out even in the daytime. So to the guy who made me paranoid and scared of every other man in the night, let's not meet ever again.
0: Thank you for listening to this live episode of Let's Not Meet, a true horror podcast. This week you have heard Checking in a Murderer by Salem, Hotel Guest from Hell by Alyssa, Camp Creep by Cassian, My Aunt Brought My Dead Uncle to See My Dad by Tori, Naive in A New City by Katie, Open Doors by Laura, and finally Creep at 2am by Anna. All of the stories you've heard this week were produced with the permission of their respective authors. Let's Not Meet, a true horror podcast is not associated with Reddit or any other message boards online. As always, if you have a story to share, make sure you send it to Stories at gmail.com. Thanks again to all of the wonderful guests for coming on the show this week. Don't forget to check out their shows wherever you get your podcasts. I will also leave some links in the show notes for you to make it easier. And don't worry, we'll be back next weekend for the Season 8 premiere. We're not taking a break or going anywhere. We'll have a brand new Lost Stories episode for you. And don't forget to stick around after the music if you're a patron for your ad-free extended version of this week's episode. If you want to get access today, go to patreon.com forward slash letsnotmeetpodcast to sign up and support the show. I'll see you next week for Season 8 of Let's Not Meet, a true horror podcast. Stay safe. stranger to true crime or horror podcasts. As a listener of-